the support homepage for customers today is Google. They're, you know, less and less, they're navigating to your homepage, and then from there navigating to your support pages. Often they'll just go ahead and type the question right into Google. And so if you don't have the content there for them to find, the more they have to dig for it, the more frustrated they're going to get. Welcome back, everyone. This is the Support Ops Podcast. It's a show devoted entirely to helping you be a customer support pro. Check out my blog at supportops.co. You can follow along on Twitter. I'm at Chase Clemens there. The uh, Twitter feed for the site is at Support Ops. I'm your host, Chase Clemens, if the Twitter name didn't give that away. Um, This is episode number 28 with Ashley Verrill. She's the managing editor at Software Advice and writes some really some great customer experience articles at Customer Service Investigator, a fun play on the, the whole CSI thing. So Ashley, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, so really tough question to start out with. Uh, how are you? <laughs> you know, I'm doing really good. It's a Tuesday and things are rolling along pretty well, so, so I'm pretty good so far. See, now you gave away the date that we do recordings. <laughs> so if it's not a Tuesday where you are, enjoy your Wednesday or Thursday. I realize. Yeah, I realized that right after I said it. <laughs> oh, so yeah, let's, let's uh, again, a really tough question to start out with here. So tell the audience a little bit about you and a little bit about uh, CSI and software advice. Sure, sure. So um, Ashley Barrell, and I spent probably the last six or seven years reporting on news and business features, starting in more of the traditional media realm. I worked for a couple of publications in California and was also the web editor briefly for the Austin Business Journal here in Texas. And then I kind of made my transition over into the blogosphere with the customer service investigator, uh, which I manage and produce all of the content and also work with some contract writers and guest contributors for that. Publication, and then in my free time, I also do some writing for TechCrunch, GigaOM. Um, I recently had my first article in Wired, so I'm pretty excited about that. Awesome. And then when I, if I don't have enough to do, um, I also do a little bit of public speaking. Uh, earlier in 2013, I spoke at the HP Social Support Summit. So um, do a little bit of everything. Yeah, that's really a jack of all trades there. Just, just everything. Mm-hmm. So, all right. So really to kind of dig into the, to the meat of why I got you on the show, you know, you've written a couple of great articles that I read, um, and I'll make sure to put show notes in for all of our listeners so they can check those out. I don't want to rehash those or anything. Um, but you know, one of the themes that, you know, we kept seeing through your writing and and other writing with, with customer service, customer support, that kind of thing, we're seeing lots of companies and lots of support teams talking about transparency, being transparent with, with, uh, with their customers, being transparent with shareholders, if they're a public company, anything like that. Um, I, I think more like towards Buffer, who even went as far recently as to publicize like their, their salaries and, and things like that. So is that something you've noticed too with the, the companies that you've been talking to when it comes to customer service? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I think it stems from just a generational change. We're so used to or you know, this newer generation is so used to kind of sharing everything. So they just by default assume that companies should kind of return the favor. So I'm definitely seeing the desire starting with the customer and saying, and also with the lack of information, they assume that there's something you're hiding. So that is another contributor. But um, absolutely, I'm hearing it from companies and also social media as 
playing a huge role in this shift because customers, if they do feel like they're not getting uh, the information that they want or not hearing the, even the answer they want, they'll head straight to social media. And that's a big risk for companies where I think even maybe a couple years ago, companies might still say, well, people aren't really doing that and it's still new and it's not really something we have to worry about. We're really seeing increasing attention from companies around really getting these support channels moving and managing them and proactively so that they can mitigate some of these potentially really negative experiences. Because if you think about it, customer service, or excuse me, social media is basically just a means for spreading a really negative message further faster. So that's definitely top of mind for a lot of organizations. I speak to. Yeah, you know, five, ten years ago, if you're if you're an AT and T customer and somebody slights you from that company, it's it's kind of no big deal. You don't have anywhere to talk about it. But now it's kind of you know all of those. If you have a bad situation with a company, it, there's a good chance it's going to be put out there for everyone to see. Yeah, absolutely. So is that a is that a good thing for? And there's kind of two parties involved here, right? So is that a good thing for customers? And, and for our listeners, is it is it a good thing for their their teams that are working with these customers? Mm-hmm. I'd say it's a it's a double edged sword. So it's it's a good thing because it provides more opportunities for companies to make that personal emotional connection with customers that's been so lost. Um, you know, and more and more business moving online. So it's kind of reintroducing that opportunity to really have a one-on-one interaction with customers. So in that way, it's great. Um, on the looking at kind of the other side of things, like I mentioned, if you don't have the tools and processes and channels really in place to effectively handle this, then it can be a real risk for you. If if you don't even if you aren't even aware that these messages are happening in the kind of worst case scenario, um, it could really be in impacting your overall brand and if you just take a look at the customer sentiment of companies that are really social relative to those who aren't you can see real trends there you know there can be a, a tendency to be more negative slant in areas where customers just aren't getting an answer even if the message doesn't extend beyond that one person's following um, there's still a risk in, in someone else seeing it or sharing it or even just talking word of mouth with their family and social circles about not hearing anything. It's almost just as bad as, you know, maybe getting a negative response over the phone, just not hearing from someone at all. So, um, you know, I definitely think that it has its benefits, but it can also be um, a really tricky channel for companies to get a hold on and make sure that they're making the best, um, they're reflecting themselves to best and at every opportunity. So when we're talking about the, these channels, you know, with, with Twitter and Facebook and uh, even Google Plus, uh, people laugh at me for mentioning Google Plus, but it's becoming more and more of a, a social channel in and of itself. Uh, when we talk about these, those one-on-one interactions you mentioned earlier are really powerful. You know, you reach out on Twitter to, well, last week I had a problem with, with AT&T and I, I reached out to them and said, hey, how do I do this? And got a reply back. And uh, it was easy. It was an easy, painless uh, question answer from my point of view. And, and that one-on-one interaction was really cool. Like this big company is now helping me out, even though I'm just one customer and doing it in a very personal way. Uh, we see this kind of taken to, not the max, but kind of amped up a little bit with uh, one of the coolest new support channels I've seen in a while, the the 
uh, Mayday app from Amazon, right? So Amazon has this this cool little button you push on their, their Kindles and things called Mayday, and automatically a, a live person pops up with a video chat, and they're there to help you out. Um, they're there to answer any questions you have, and even as far as like advice, right? So a friend of mine used it, and he was just looking for a good recommendation on a book, and the Mayday support rep was able to give that to him. Um, what's your take on, on Amazon's Mayday approach so far? Is it something that, that other customers are going to be able to to kind of mimic or do themselves? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I've definitely heard a lot of conversations about this. But surprisingly, it's actually not a new technology. There have been companies doing this for quite some time. It's just received a lot of attention recently, obviously, with um, Amazon taking this on. And, um, you know, I, I see it two ways. I either think it could be the future of tech support or it could be a terrible misstep that Amazon ends up really loathing themselves for even trying because, um, yes, number one, it addresses two common customer, um, things customers get frustrated with with more traditional channels, one being have to play around in a phone tree and navigate through your system and talk to five different agents and listen to hold music and all those things they really hate about more traditional phone support. Um, and two, it helps uh, reduce the time to resolution because um, the video support model, or at least the way Amazon's using it, the customer is already logged into their account and they're accessing the agent on the device that is most likely to be having the issue. So the agent has immediate context into the problem. They don't have to walk through that whole, can I have your account number? Well, tell me what's going on. All of this sort of thing. So it speeds time to resolution. And I think we're in a society where it's you know instant gratification. I want, I want the answer now and I want the problem solved now. So from that point, that's why I say it could be the future of tech support because it could really increase customer satisfaction. Um, I say kind of on the, the risk end of things, um, it's also a very labor-intensive channel. I mean, right. with things like chat and email, you have this you know, asynchronous support happening where you can really you know, help more than one customer at once. And in the interest of productivity and efficiency, that's really appealing for companies. But, but when you're on a video screen, you have to be giving your undivided attention to that customer. And speaking of video screens, you have to have um, agents who are quote-unquote camera ready. Um, you know, they have to be in a sterile environment. They can't have a bunch of tchotchkes all over their desk. They need to have video. They need to have microphone. They need to um, be trained in a different way. Because if you can imagine, you can see their every facial expression that really opens up some risk too so um that's something that companies considering a model should really think about this but the other side of it is it isn't just about providing better support this can actually help companies it has other benefits beyond that um and i think that's one of the big reasons why amazon is doing it you you made a really good example of your friend who wanted advice about um what book you should look into that's exactly what amazon wants you to use it for because really the ideal would be that this channel helps them sell more or sell to you better so um with more traditional support channels, as I mentioned, it can be you know cumbersome to pick up the phone and call every time you have a problem. So a lot of times customers just won't do anything. So you aren't able to really capture all of the data on exactly where customers are running into problems and where in the customer lifecycle they're happening. But by putting this channel, again, in the context of where the issue occurs and making it so easy to use, Amazon is increasing the likelihood that customers will reach out and say something about it and say, hey, I'm trying to use this feature, um, even if it's just you know the interface 
interface maybe didn't wasn't as intuitive as they had hoped and they couldn't figure it out. That's a piece of data that Amazon can use to go and then improve their support for future customers. So it has that benefit for them as well. Um, I did. I have spoken to some other companies that use video chat for support, but in kind of a different way for a different benefit, um, primarily banking customers. And for them, it's about... Um, eliminating the need to have so many physical branches because those are really expensive. And so um, I've had some people talk to me about putting the video chat feature actually in an ATM, which I thought was really interesting. So you can actually, you know, dial support straight from an ATM and talk to a tell teller just like you might, you know, in your local branch. Or if you're, um, you want to have your, uh, small business loan expert available at any location, but that could be really expensive to have someone dedicated to every single community you service in America. So another way that the banks have kind of been distributing their knowledge workforce is by offering this chat video service solution. So it's a different play on the same kind of technology, and it has a different benefit. But I still thought it was a really interesting use considering all the conversations about how Amazon, you know, been really innovative in this regard. But, you know, the truth is that other companies have really been using this tactic for some time. Do you think customers are going to like that, though, when it comes to – I can see the advantage with, with the Amazon Mayday and, mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. Or mm-hmm. if I'm using Facebook or Twitter and I have a problem, video chat there, that, that's pretty cool. But if I go into a bank and my, my loan specialist is on a video screen mm-hmm. or my teller is, is a video screen, that kind of thing – like, do you think customers are going to like that? You know, that's a good question. I think that um, outside of the, the physical location of having the video, you know, in an ATM or something, what I do think is that a lot of customers, if you ask them, would say, would you prefer to have to go to a physical location or would you like to get, you know, whatever the business is that you want to get done from your home without having to go anywhere? And I feel like a lot more customers would say, well, yeah, I'd rather just do it from home. I don't want to have to take the trouble of driving somewhere. Um, I think that that wouldn't be true maybe of past generations, but I feel like we're definitely trending in that direction. And I think uh, another spot where I've heard people talking about using this function is within the context of your mobile app. So um, it's a service provided to people who download the app. And I think that is also indicative of just where this we are you know, with customers today is we do almost everything on our phones now. So right. um, I think it makes a lot of sense for handsets because it's hard to type, do a lot of typing on you know your mobile phone. So having more voice-enabled technologies makes a lot of sense. And cust- if I'm sure every customer today is, I'm obsessed with my phone. I use my phone for everything. I use it more than anything else. So I definitely think in that context, um, maybe the benefits would outweigh kind of the, well, this is kind of weird <laughs> that I'm video yeah, chatting I'm- a support rep right now. I'm sold on that one. Uh, the bank that I use is USAA, and it's uh, there's banks at military bases. We don't live near a military base, but um, so all of our interactions happen either online, on the phone, on my mobile phone, that kind of thing. So totally sold on that. It's just kind of weird, like to walk into an actual bank, and and you know when you're when you're doing something like you're about to buy a house and, and you're taking a loan. That I think that's a little weird for me at that point. I, I think I would kind of yeah. want like somebody there in person 
rather than, hey, can you hold up the paper to the video screen so I can see your contract? You know, right, right. <laughs> no, I totally feel you. I, I'm maybe I'm I didn't talk generation. to any customers who have used this. So I'm interested to, you know, learn a little bit more about whether that one actually grain, gains any any ground. Because you're right that I could see how that would be kind of a weird experience. Yeah, I, I, you know, I don't want to go to the bank if I can do it self-service, which is kind of the, you know, to kind of segue here, that, that's one of the other big things that we're seeing with customers. More and more customers want self-service support. They want to be able to do whatever they need to do without interacting with other people. Uh, if you're like me, it's always one of those, like, if I have to contact support, I kind of feel like I'm bugging them. Like, I, I you know, I, I, it's not that I, I feel like I... I couldn't figure it out. It's just that, you know, maybe I couldn't figure it out from having the support materials that they provided. So it's always when I contact support, it, it's like I mentioned, it's like I'm bugging them. Um, how big do you see self-service support being to, to companies? Mm-hmm. I think it's enormously important for a few reasons. Um, I think the support homepage for customers today is Google. They're, you know, less and less, they're navigating to your homepage, and then from there navigating to your support pages. Often they'll just go ahead and type the question right into Google. And so if you don't have the content there for them to find, the more they have to dig for it, the more frustrated they're going to get. So imagine if they finally get to the phone and they've been digging around on your website for 30 minutes or trying, you know, trying to find an answer in a discussion thread or something and they're just not finding it, their level of frustration is just compounding the more time that passes. So um, that's really the biggest, one of the biggest reasons why I think it's so important that companies focus a lot of efforts on self-service and really measuring and looking at the quality of that content in the same way that, you know, they manage, measure and monitor the quality of service that happens over the phone. Um, I wrote an article recently that was focused on KPIs for self-service and, I was surprised to find how many companies don't really do a whole lot of measuring to see what's really working and what's not working. You know, if a customer clicks through to five different pages searching similar terms but still isn't finding what they're looking for, that's probably a signal that you need to create a new article in your self-service channel. Um, Just really simple things that I think just by, you know, what Peter Drucker says is what measured improves. So I think that that's just crucial to making these channels really useful. The second reason why I think they're really important is because it's an opportunity to create real brand advocates. Um, You know, self-service communities where, you know, that are enabled with things like gamification, where you're really getting your customers engaged with your brand. Um, Not only are you you know, ideally deflecting tickets from your call center because customers are able to help themselves, and that's a cost benefit, obviously, but you're also turning them into a brand advocate along the way. And I think that, um, you know, what we're seeing with on the marketing side of things, you know, it's no longer you can't just run advertisements anymore. And I think word of mouth marketing is really becoming increasingly important. And what better way to get your customers talking positively about your brand than to give them this community platform where you show them just how important they are and you arm them with the tools for helping other customers and really show them off as being valued parts of your company, not just customers, but actual, you know, you're, you're part of what makes this company so great. And so I think that self-service is really, if if any channel could be called the channel of the future, I would definitely say self-service is one of them. Actually, the first article I wrote for GigaOM was about um, using self-service support as kind of eventually transitioning that into 
helping customers on social media. Because well, I think one of the big challenges companies encounter with support on social media is effectively scaling those efforts. I mean, there's so many, I did a research project last year where, um, you know, I was analyzing some, some Twitter customer service of Coca-Cola and some other big brands and they receive thousands of messages a day. It feels impossible to really expect them to get everything. So if you already have this established network of community customer users who are really engaged with their brand, who spent actively and proactively spend their spare time helping other customers, why not leverage that network to also, you know, provide some peer to peer support on social media? I mean, I think that has even more impact than, you know, someone on your team providing really excellent service if you have a customer doing it for you because it sends that message to, to other customers to like, wow, this is how much this, this, uh, this company takes care of their customers if they have people willing to proactively go out and spread the good word about, about that particular brand. I just think it, it has a lot of potential and I really see more and more companies focusing their efforts in this way. That's that's kind of an interesting idea. So if you if you've got a small team, you know, if we're talking like, you know, maybe three or five people on on your customer service team, your support team, how like what's some practical advice you would give them for leveraging their their self-support over into social media, Twitter, Facebook, that kind of thing? Well, there are some tools that have immediate integrations that make it really easy to where if um your service team gets a message on social that is categorized as being, you know, a support question, they can easily tag that and send that to a community user. So it's just, it's a pretty uh, seamless experience to tag it straight from social media and it immediately pops up as an alert to the um, associated community member. So there is kind of a way to do it using those tools. When I talked to the company that provides that particular technology I was talking about, they said they don't know of any um, customers actually use it in that way yet. I think there's still a lot of fear around empowering your customers in that way because you are giving them, I mean, it's your social presence. Mm -hmm. So what if they go out there and say something that you wouldn't want them to say? So I, I think that there's still a lot of fear on the company side of whether they actually are ready to move in that direction. But again, I think as more customers use the channel and it gets more increasingly difficult to scale, they're going to need to find another option. And so that was just kind of my pie in the sky dream. You know, one day I think that communities could be empowered in this way. So you mentioned uh, social media tools, and that's kind of the, the last thing I want to want to end on. Um, I found one of your big projects last year was what you called the social app map. Um, so when it comes to uh, some of the social media apps that you looked at, what's some of like your your top favorite ones that you would recommend that customer service teams should start using like this week or next week, like right away? Mm-hmm. Um, that's a big question. For customer service specifically, I mean, so there's some social listening applications that can do the job, but then there's others that have more customer-specific tools. And when I say customer-specific tools, um, I mean primarily you can program the software to 
automatically identify customer service messages from your entire stream. You know, there could be people tweeting all kinds of things at your brand, but only some of those really make sense for support to respond to. Um, and I think that's the big challenge for a lot of companies is because where, you know, you're straddling the line between marketing and customer service, how do you do that effectively? And so these tools enable you to really pick out those messages by using keyword identifiers like help or need assistance or, um, you know, my cable is out or other specific words you can program into the software to pick out these messages. And then the other tools they have for kind of making that a more seamless experience is once these messages are identified, they can immediately turn that into a trouble ticket and then it's trafficked just like support tickets from any other channel. And you can have dedicate, you can have reps that are dedicated to support uh, people. So when a ticket does come in from social, it'll show up in their queue immediately. And then it can even be programmed to say, okay, if they don't respond within an hour, go ahead and triage that to another rep who maybe is more available and could respond right away. Um, so outside of uh, some good tools, let me try that again. So some good tools that offer these more social customer service specific uh, features are things like um, Salesforce's Social Hub is a really good one. Um, LiveOps Social is another really good one. Parature is another one I see a lot. Uh, Social Dynamics is one. Um, I did some research on that one last year for a different project. And also Moxie Software is another one that I see come up a lot. Actually, Social Dynamics I didn't include in the Social App Map. But Parature, Moxie, Salesforce, Social Hub... Um, I did include in the map map. Awesome. Cool. Um, yeah, those are, are all great ones. And it's one of those where, like you mentioned, it's all about finding the right fit. Like if you're, if you're Coca-Cola and getting a thousand different tweets every hour, every half day or anything like that, it's going to be a radically different tool than somebody that's not getting that volume. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and if you do, if you are smaller, I mean, I do think that you can probably get the job done with something more, um, on the basic end, like a, you know, a Hootsuite or something like that, that just does kind of the, the general listening for you because you're not needing to, you know, enable it with all of these channeling it to the right person and prioritizing tickets. That's another big feature that I see in these more social customer service specific applications is they can prioritize the response based on, you know, maybe the sentiment of the message or the clout of the person sending it. If it's someone who's really influential, you'd want to prioritize that over something else. But as I mentioned, if you're a smaller brand that doesn't get that many, a huge volume of tickets to begin with, or a huge volume of social customer service requests to begin with, then I don't think you really need, you know, these really um, uh, products with very specific features and, you know, a great depth of features. I think you can get by with just a very basic listening tool. Awesome. So last question. It's one of my favorite ones I say for everybody. Um, So basically it's, when you uh, when you interact with companies like you know over the holidays or anything like that, what what was your your favorite customer service customer support interaction where where you were the customer? So not one where you were like greeting somebody else or, or you were helping out another company something like that, but you know a time where you had to reach out to a company and and they just really rocked that customer experience. This is going to sound terrible, but I don't know that I've ever used it personally. I've used it for my research. I've tweeted some companies and um, had some good experience for my research, but not. I don't think I've ever counts. personally reached out to a company for you know a problem that I was having. 
See, you're like me. We we tend not to if we can fix it with like <laughs> yeah. service or something. But like I mean, that. I will say so. Zappos above and beyond is definitely the best I've seen as far as providing social customer service. There was one instance where someone had tweeted about, "Hey Zappos, why don't you get some better white sneakers or something like that?" and added them. I don't think with the intention or expectation that they would actually hear back from Zappos. And they went on to have probably six or seven exchanges between the rep and the customer saying, "Hey, well what do you think of these? What do you think of these?" and they I think they gave him a discount coupon. And then even like a month later, the rep tweeted that same person and said, hey, were you ever able to find some shoes that, you know, you liked or something like that? And I just thought that was a really example of just a really going above and beyond. They definitely didn't have to do that, especially coming up a month later, having some kind of reminder, say, hey, I need to reach out to so-and-so who, you know, obviously it had some kind of bad experience or weren't finding what they were looking and make sure that they left, you know, a really satisfied customer. So that was, that's one example that really sticks out in my mind. That's that follow-up that that's just always awesome. I had, Mm -hmm. uh, I mentioned USAA earlier as my bank and they, um, cut my card off one day because they saw some fraud on it and that kind of thing. So, um, I, I called them and no, wait, they actually called me. I didn't even have to call them. They called me and was like, Hey, we're shipping you a new card. You'll have it tomorrow. And then the same rep called back the the next day, I guess, when they got on their shift the next day. I was like, hey, have you got the card yet? Um, it, it's that follow-up that's that's really awesome and kind of just shows that extra step. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Awesome. So that's it. Uh, Ashley, thanks for uh, being on the show. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. And it was it was great talking with you. Yeah, so that means episode 28 is now in the books. Oh, one last thing. So Ashley, what's what's the best place for people to find you online? My Twitter handle is customer serve in. So that's customer S E R V I N V for customer service investigator. Nice. So we'll send people your way on that. Show notes are going to be up at supportops.co forward slash podcast. Um, if you're listening to this, then just look straight down below the post and you'll see the show notes and, and links to her articles and, and everything else there. Uh, thanks again for listening. I'm Chase. And until we talk again, have an awesome week. <laughs>